Paul's letter to the Romans is unlike any of his other letters. The first eight chapters form a theological treatise written as a lengthy argument about faith and how we are made right with God. There is a repetition of words like justification and righteousness. Paul says it's not on the basis of one's birthright, bloodline, religious practices, or moral reputation that God approves of us, but it's entirely on the basis of the person and work of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. It's a message of God's faithfulness and gift of grace, whereby we gain confidence and peace in the presence of God. Paul brings his argument to a magnificent conclusion in chapter 8, but he offers a brief summary of the results of living by faith in chapter 5. One such result of living by faith is to have hope. Paul's description of hope in this context is relevant to what we have endured with the outbreak and persistent presence of the COVID-19 virus. Paul builds on the effect of what it means to be secure in our relationship with God, to be at peace and to feel connected with God by means of the grace we've received through Jesus. We also can feel secure about the future because we have hope to one day share God's glory. That future reality affects how we see our present circumstances. Even when we encounter trouble, our faith grows us to be people of hope. Listen how Paul explains it in this passage read for us by Katie Flowers. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The Word of the Lord. Lewis Smedes was one of my seminary professors at Fuller Theological Seminary. In his book, Keeping Hope Alive, Smedes says, hope is bread in the bone. Our spirits were made for hope, the way our hearts were made to love, the way our brains were made to think, our hands were made to make things. Smedes identifies three things that, that hope is made of. They are wishing, imagining, and believing. All three are characteristic and necessary to what makes hope distinct. We'll start with wishing. We only hope for what we wish for. It begins with a desire, a longing, or some measure of discontent with what is or the way things are. We wish for what we do not have and without which we cannot be satisfied. This ingredient seems peculiar to faith given that 
Scripture teaches us to be content and to guard against the sin of coveting what we lack. However, the right kind of discontent can serve as a motivator for us to grow as individuals and to achieve something worthwhile toward making this world better. It is this tension of acceptance and wishing for something more that makes the serenity prayer written by Reinhold Niebuhr so compelling. God grant us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. It is in our nature to be creatures of habit, to follow a pattern of doing things, this doing the same things over and over again, or to give in to impulses, desires, and cravings. Yet when these habits become destructive and lead us to become addicts to things like drugs, alcohol, pornography, and the like, then we become powerless to do something about their effect. Learning to accept what is true of us is the first step of moving toward recovery and living free of what controls us. And as Niebuhr contends, grace helps us let go of who we presume ourselves to be in order to face who we really are. But the second line of the prayer calls for us to change what should be changed. And as Niebuhr says, that takes courage. We live in an environment that says it's easier to compromise or give in than to speak the truth. This is the healthy side of wishing that moves us to have, to have hope and to act. We cannot be content with the way things are as long as things are not the way we wish them to be or the way they ought to be. Wishing for something is the first blush of hoping for it. The second is imagining. This ingredient gives us power to, to see beyond what can be or ought to be, beyond present misery, misery to future joy, beyond present pain to future healing, beyond present evil to future good or beyond present problems to future possibilities. Imagining also gives us power to see a potential reality tucked inside of what already is, such as the inner fortitude and strength within someone who is outwardly humble or meek, or wisdom that comes from a person whose lived experience and age defies their words. This is the kind of imagining that is realistic and rooted in truth, not fantasy or fiction. The kind of hope Paul says emerges from living through struggles and enduring prolonged challenges that requires resilience and fortitude of character to imagine only what hope can see. Poet Victoria Safford helps us understand how this quality of hope sets it apart from other kinds of imagining in her poem, The Gates of Hope. Our mission is to plant ourselves at the gates of hope, 
not the prudent gates of optimism, which are somewhat narrower, not the stalwart, boring gates of common sense, nor the strident gates of self-righteousness, which creak on shrill and angry hinges. People cannot hear us there. They cannot pass through. Nor the cheerful, flimsy garden gate of everything's going to be all right. But a different, sometimes lonely place, the place of truth-telling, about your own soul, first of all, and its condition, the place of resistance and defiance, the piece of ground from which you see the world, both as it is and as it could be, as it will be, the place from which you glimpse not only struggle, but the joy of the struggle. And we stand there beckoning and calling, telling people what we're seeing, and asking people what they see. What a beautiful image of how hope, like a well-suited gate, helps us imagine a new place of being that, is, that leads to truth, honesty, and possibility. Smead says, God gave us the power to imagine the future, but gave us no power to control it. We can imagine good things that we want to happen, but we cannot see to it that they will happen. This is why the third ingredient is integral and necessary to the stuff hope is made of, and that ingredient is believing. Hope can wish for something and even imagine it, but without believing it is possible, hope dies. People of hope or by necessity, people of faith. Paul set, sets hope in the context of suffering or troubles. What once was routine or normal has become overshadowed by the urgency of now. In crisis, hope in the future doesn't extend very far from the change we want to see and expect. When someone says to me that prayer is not working, it tells me they want hope without faith. Their sense of hope is nothing more than wishful thinking compared to the kind of hope Paul says doesn't disappoint. Hope that is forged over time, tested by adversity, strengthened through the development of character, all because it trusts God no matter what. Hope is not simply what we want or imagine for ourselves, but believing that what God promises is true and will be fulfilled. I like how Christian Canadian author Anne Voskamp likens it to bodybuilding. Like muscles, hope is made by rising again and again, lifting the weight of dark that's conspiring to flatten us with the strength of God's promises that are certain to carry us. Living by faith has taught me that God is patient. I am not. So faith tethers my hope in this way. What I do not know about the future, I choose to trust to what I do know about God. What I do not know about the future, 
I choose to trust to what I do know about God. Rather than focus my attention on circumstances and become discouraged or tempted to give up, hope directs me to trust God who governs both present and future. It's easy to feel sorry for myself or want to cut suffering short and make myself as comfortable as possible. But hope revitalizes me to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible. It challenges me to hang on and endure, and it allows time for character to become strong, helps me to wait to see what God will do. Someone said to a friend of mine undergoing a time of grief, sorrow fairly covers life, doesn't it? To which my friend replied, yes, but I propose to choose the color. One of the marks of the believing community is a hope that has stamina and confidence to persevere through life's difficulties. Wherever hope is found in the Bible, faith is nearby. The two are closely linked and complementary, as stated in Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is faith with its eyes on possibilities for the future. St. Thomas Aquinas spoke of how these two elements complement one another. Faith has to do with things that are not seen and hope with things that are not at hand. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 5, 3 through 5 offers this poetic description of hope. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how trouble can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. May the stuff hope is made of, wishing, imagining, believing, struggle, endurance, resilience, confidence, truth-telling, help you trust God for what is and give you courage and incentive to work for what is yet to be. Hope that does not disappoint because it's brimming with the love God pours into our hearts. Amen.